You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. There's the green light. Good morning. Um, it is really exciting to be here with y'all this morning. Oh my goodness, Can I just need to soak it in. Because I'm scared I won't be able to look at you and walk in my heels at the same time. So that might be as much eye contact as some of you get all morning long. <laughs> but um, my name is Kathy Vodnicker, and I am thrilled to be here this morning and to share with you something I feel like God has put on my heart and wants to share with you guys. But I need to tell you just a little bit about myself. Um, this, su- this summer, I also had the opportunity to go on vacation. I went to North Carolina with my family. And when we were in North Carolina, my husband's like, let's bring our bikes. And I said, okay, that's great. But you need to know my husband, like I ride for transportation, and my husband rides his bike for recreation. And so if you walk up to my husband trip, sometime this morning, you'll see that his legs might be as smooth as mine. Like when he rides his bike, he rides it. He's got the fancy bike. He rides in the whatever the, I don't know, what am I going to say? Spandex and the jersey and like, and the, um, the thing that's scary to me about the road bike, but I have one too, and I average about once a year riding my road bike. But anyway, so Trip, he rides this road bike, and I have one, but I barely ride it. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something with my husband. So I'll bring this bike with us to the mountains of North Carolina. And there's like one flat road in North Carolina that we can ride on together. And as we're getting ready to ride on our bikes, you know, I get the gear too. I forget about cotton and go with the whole costume and get on my bike. And what you need to know about these bikes is they're like skis. And so you have these shoes that are like twice as ugly and twice as expensive as the ones that I'm wearing now. And you have these shoes and they lock into the bike. And so when you're on these road bikes, you're locked into this bike. So there's a lot of fear there for me in that moment to be locked into a bike. But anyway, I get on the bike and we we ride on these flat, beautiful roads in North Carolina. And it's just idyllic. I mean, it's just so pretty. And we're riding and we're having this just amazing experience together. And the other thing I need you to know is that this is not the norm in our marriage, to have such a great new experience be fun. Normally what happens when Tripp and I try to do a new thing together, there is um, we default back to things that are unhealthy, I guess is the right way to say that. So when we try new things, typically Trip becomes sarcastic and I become very sensitive. And so you can imagine what that could look like and the potential for disaster clipped in to a vehicle wearing spandex. There, I mean, I have a right to be fearful in this moment with this new experience with my husband. But anyway, we go, we're in North Carolina, we have these great rides, and it is. It's amazing. It's so great. Well, poor Trip. I mean, he is a bike rider. So by day three, riding on flat roads, he's about done being patient with me. And he's like, Kathy, maybe we should do just a little bit of hills. Like, what is it called in skiing? Like bunny slopes or bunny hills? He's like, there's just a little bit of hills in this one road. Maybe we should try that. And I say, okay. So I go with Trip. We ride on our bikes. I'm clipped in, super fun, having so much fun together. We ride on these little hills. We get to the top of the little hill, and he's like, okay, let's hop off our bike and have a drink of water. I'm like, okay, that sounds so great. And so, of course, with these bikes, you have to, like, I won't even be able to do it right now. You have to, like, clip on your right foot and then lean the way you clip. So if I clip out right, I have to lean to the right. But what happened to me in that moment as we get to the top of the hill is I clip out right and I lean left. And so I'm still attached to my bike. And so the bike falls on top of me and I look at Trip in this moment and he looks at me and thank the Lord. I mean, this is a miracle for us. We start laughing 
at the same time. And there's no fear in that moment and there's no sarcasm and there's no tears. And that was like huge for us. And so anyway, we get up and we're, I'm like, ha ha ha, this is so funny. And so then we, I try to like unclick, you know, out of the bike to stand up, to get back on the bike, to ride back to where the car is on this road. And he looks at me and I'm standing there and I'm laughing. I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad to fall down. He's like, no, you're doing great. I'm like, yay. And so anyway, so we go on the bike, we get ready to stand back up and he's like, okay, come on, let's go. And my leg is shaking so bad. I can't put my leg back in the thing. I can't put my leg back in that clip because it is one thing to fall down, but it's a whole other thing to get back up and keep going. And I couldn't do it. Fear, when I experience fear, I don't think it, I feel it. And it comes on me like it just drops like a cage. And I can feel so locked up in fear. And I felt it in my gut. I felt it in my legs. My whole body started shaking and I could not get on that bike. And what happens for me once I begin to feel fear is then all of a sudden I start thinking fear. And so then I start thinking and I look down at myself and this, <laughs> this get up that I'm wearing and I think, what am I doing here? And who did I think I was to try a new thing? And who did I think I was to try a new thing with my husband? And then I look at my husband and I just wait for that sarcasm to come. I don't even give him a chance. I wait for that sarcasm to come. And my sweet husband rises to the occasion and he looks at me and he says stop thinking stop thinking and so i'm able in that moment to get on that bike and ride because love really does drive out fear love really does drive out fear and words are powerful those were powerful words to me in that moment stop thinking they were powerful words. And when we sing songs that there's power in the name of Jesus, it's true. It's true. Words are powerful things. The name of Jesus is powerful. And what is exciting about our faith is that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And when we think about Jesus, we think about the fact that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But Jesus wrote one word, and it got washed away in the dirt. It was his spoken word that brought life, that brought healing, that brought redemption, that brought freedom. It was his spoken word. And so I feel like we are wise to look at what did Jesus preach, what did Jesus teach, but even more than that, how did Jesus talk to people? How did Jesus talk to people in everyday life in everyday conversation because there are power there's power and freedom in the name of Jesus and in the words that he says and the words that he wants to say to us this morning if you've got your Bible go ahead and turn oh oh yeah you can turn in your Bibles while I do this okay if you've got your Bible go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 25 oh, look how cool that is okay if you've got your Bible go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 through um, 14 through 30. But before you even look at that, let me say this really quick. Oh, wait, take it down. Can you take it down really quick? Don't start reading. Oh, thank you so much, Ryan. Okay, so, um, 
So before I even say that, Jesus, what's really great about Jesus is he did. He had, he preached and he taught and he had normal conversations with people. And one of the ways that he had normal conversations with people is while he was doing things with people that were normal. As he was walking and talking and sharing life with people, he had normal conversations with them. And when he had normal conversations with people, sometimes Jesus would tell stories. And he would tell stories about people's everyday normal lives. He would tell stories about farmers. He would tell stories about losing things and finding things. He would tell stories about widows. Um, he would tell these everyday normal stories. And the name for this is that Jesus would tell parables. And a parable literally means para is alongside and bull is to throw something down. And so a parable is like throwing something down alongside. It's throwing something down alongside. And so I think what's cool about that is when Jesus was walking and talking with people, you know, in everyday life, and he would tell these stories that would just, they were like bombs he would drop almost about people's everyday lives that required the listener to be creative that required the listener to engage in what he was saying. He would tell these stories to engage them in the midst of their everyday lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at, we're going to start with a parable of Jesus. Um, and like I said, it's on, it's Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. This is a long one, but it's going to be great. Okay, here we go. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another one, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew where I harvested, where I've not sown, and gather where I've not scattered seed? Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has been given more... And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when I read that parable, I think to myself, that makes sense to me. 
that makes sense to me because I feel like in my life, I know what it feels like to see the person with five talents go off and do amazing things. And I know what that's like to see the person with two talents go off and do incredible things with the gifts and the talents they've been given. And in that moment, when I watch those people with the five and I watch those people with the two and I look down to what's been given to me, I can't help but compare and think that it's not very much. And so instead of doing something, I stand back in fear and I hide what's been given to me. I hide what's been given to me. And instead of being faithful, I hide and that there's fear there. And maybe you can relate to that, knowing that stirring, that stirring that, um, that God's called you to do something, and you just automatically compare yourself to five and two, and you think, I can't do it. There's no way that I can do that. And you took it and you pull it aside. But as I kept looking, I kept turning this parable over. I kept thinking, too, that that's like the, um, I can't help but think about the Olympics this whole week. And I'm going to be, I think I might celebrate my own personal closing ceremonies that they're over. And, like, I just keep thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad Antley prayed for us at the beginning of summer. You know, not eye has seen, no ear has heard what God is in store for those who love him. But he's going to reveal it by our spirit because I feel like I'm going to have so much more time in my life. When the Olympics are over, like, I will have this abundance of time that's about to happen and be revealed to me. But anyway, what was I saying? Okay, so the thought, um, this thought of that we've got, you know, it's like the thought of, like, well, if Michael Phelps is in the pool and Ryan Lochte is in the pool, I, why do I even bother to learn how to swim? I mean, that's crazy. That's a crazy way of living. But how many times do we do that in our life? We do that in our life. We look at people who have five and two and we think, never mind. Never mind. It's not enough. But as I kept turning this parable over, I can't help it. I kept thinking, okay, that's good, God. Like, that's good. I get that. But, Lord, there's got to be more to this parable. There's got to be more to this parable. And I'm somebody who loves to dig, and I want there to be more to this parable. And so I kept studying and studying and studying, and I'm like, God, what else is there? Do you have anything else in here for us, for River City Church in this moment? As um, this season, as school begins to, summer comes to an end and school begins to start, what else do you have for us, Lord, in this parable? And so I go... I love to read. I love to read because really I just feel like it's talking, but it's just quieter, you know, and you're listening to somebody else talk to you, and you just can listen for a while instead of like what I do is just talk and keep talking and keep talking. But anyway, I love to read books, and so I picked up this book by Eugene Peterson called Tell It Slant, and he has something to say about this parable that I loved, and what he says is this, is he says, don't forget when Jesus told this parable. Don't forget when Jesus told this parable, because Jesus told this parable when he was walking from Galilee to Jerusalem, and it was at the end of his ministry, getting ready to be the end of his life, and he walked from Galilee to Jerusalem, which is about a three to five day journey, 60 to 70 miles, and to get there, he had to go through Samaria, and as he's walking through Samaria, he's walking with a people group that doesn't really care about God that's indifferent to the things of God. And you might even say that there's hostility there between Jewish people and Samaritans. But as the last week of his life, he walks through Samaria, and what he does is he doesn't go on a preaching crusade. That the word made flesh walking through Samaria was more than enough. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, he doesn't end up sounding more religious. He gets more normal. 
He has normal conversations as he's going through Samaria. Eugene Peterson liked it that Galilee, Jerusalem, is kind of like our Sunday to Sunday, and that the six days during the week, we go out and we live in Samaria. And we have the opportunity to bring the word made flesh to people and to follow Jesus' example and to be normal about it. To talk about everyday things, everyday life, and to be normal. And to let God's spirit work in the midst of everyday life and everyday conversations. But what's powerful to me is to think that that parable he shared about the talents was right before Palm Sunday. So then I start thinking, I can't help it, I think to myself, what did the disciples think after the crucifixion? What are they thinking about? You know, it's not stop thinking, it's start thinking. And what do they start thinking about? Do they go back to this parable and ask themselves, as they look at this parable, what do we do when the master is gone? Because he's gone. How do we live our lives when the master is gone? Because I don't think it's about Jesus giving five or two talents, the master giving five or two talents. I think what that parable is really saying is I've given my life for you. The one thing I've given is my life for you. And how will you live your life when you're gone? And he doesn't tell us how, but he tells us, don't go into hiding. Don't hide your life. Don't live your life in hiding. But I'm a great hider. I'm one of the best. I'm a really good hider. And so for me, this is such a great reminder to be reminded of the fact that we're called to live. Jesus came for us to live in freedom. He didn't call for us to live a life of hiding, that he gave his life for us so that we could live for him and not live a life in hiding. But hiding has been our problem from the beginning of time, that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, what happened? When they blew it, what'd they do? They hid. They hid, but the good news is the gospel from the beginning of time that we have a God who calls out to us, where are you? Where are you? That we have a God who comes after us, who pursues us, who loves us in the midst of our shame and in the midst when all we want to do in our life is hide. He comes after us. He pulls us out of the pit. He hears our cry for help. He takes initiative with us, and he is the one that puts our feet on solid ground. He's always done it. He's doing it. He'll continue to do it in our lives. He's the one that calls out to us when we live lives of hiding, where are you? Where are you? I, um, I guess it was two weeks ago, like that moment on the bike, that makes sense that I would feel fearful in that moment. You know, that, I mean, as you hear my backstory of fear about the bike, that makes sense. But sometimes for me, this concept of hiding um, or fear, like it can, even the, if there's no circumstances around me, it can just be dumped on me. I don't know if that makes any sense or you ever experienced that. Two weeks ago on a Monday, I woke up, I had this list of things to do, which I'm not a list of things to do people person. I don't know if you like the list. I don't really like the list. And so just the thought of having to do multiple tasks in a singular day is overwhelming to me. But anyway, so I have the list of things to do that day and I don't want to do them. 
I just, I don't care that much. I start to not care that much if I finish my kitchen or not. You know, I don't care that much. I'm done. It's the end of summer. I really don't want to play any more rounds of life. I'm done. And I'm sitting there, you know, in my family with my kids, and I have these tasks I need to do, and I can feel this fear coming over me. And I can feel just this um, feeling of just wanting to quit and wanting to quit everything. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but it's like when you want to hide, you can almost feel yourself get into yourself. Does that make sense? Like when you feel that sense of hiding, it's coming in on yourself. So anyway, I feel that. I have that sense of wanting to hide, of um, feeling afraid that I don't want to do these things, these just minimal, ridiculous tasks, but I don't want to do it. It just seems too much, too overwhelming. And, um, and so anyway, I keep going about my day, but my fear gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And so I get to the point where I'm like, I have to call somebody. Like, I can't stay stuck in this moment. I need to just confess to somebody that I feel miserable right now. And so I pick up the phone, and I call a friend, and I start saying to her, listen, I have this feeling on me, and I don't know what it is or where it came from, but I just need to confess to you. And then I realize, like, I'm just talking to her voicemail. And, um, and like, <laughs> she's not really there. And I'm thinking, I, ha- I, can, um, I can relate to her, but probably this is not the best time or place to do this. So anyway, I hang up the phone, and then I quickly call another friend. And I'm like, listen, I, I'm stuck. I'm really stuck. And she's like, what's going on? I said, I just feel like I want to quit. And she's like, well, what do you want to quit? I'm like, everything. I want to dig in a hole. I want to hide. And I just kind of want to quit. And she's like, okay. And then I feel better. There's power in words. There's power in confessing. There's power in saying you want to quit and then realizing not really. I don't want to quit. It's not who I am. I get so, I get, the thing that keeps me from moving forward in the kingdom of God is myself. I get so tripped over myself that the next Monday, I didn't want to do that. And so I emailed friends saying, can you please send me three words about me, who I am? So when I see that hole, I don't just go rolling into it. Or when I'm walking in my everyday life, I don't crawl under a bush. Could you remind me of who I am? And I had these friends send me three words to remind me. I asked them to send me three words to remind me who I am. Because it's so easy, it's so quick for me to forget who I am in Christ. It's so quick for me to find myself laying in a hole and I can't figure out why or how I got there. And I was so shocked that quitter, slacker, lazy wasn't like even on the list of any of my friends. Like, but like my yard would testify different, you know, if you saw the weeds and the level of weeds. But quitter, lazy, slacker didn't make it because that might be sometimes how I feel but that is not who I am. And I would venture to say that we all have experiences like that where we might feel like we're quitters or we might feel like we're lazy or might have those feelings, but it's not who we are. It's not who we are. And this morning, I wanna give you three words for who we all are, who we all are in the body. In 1 John chapter 3, verse one, it says this, It says, see, I'll just read it from here. It says, see how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That as you go through your life in Samaria this week from Sunday to Sunday to remember the sweet truth of your three words that we are called children of God, that that's who we are. 
And we're not called to live a life of hiding. We're called to live life. That Christ came that we can have life and have it to the full. We're called to do that. And that we are children of God. And in my, I love it. It's see how great the love the Father has lavished. His love for you is lavish. The thing that makes us family is lavish love. I want to, um, this is so silly. I'm not going to say it. How many more minutes? Do I have it doesn't matter. Um, you know, when I send text or emails, I have to go back and, like, delete the exclamation points. Because sometimes I feel like I live life as, like, one big, like, I can't wait to see you, exclamation point, you know, whatever. Like, every sentence I have is an exclamation point. And I don't know if you do that with your emails or your text. You go back and you look at how you sound, and you start editing your exclamation points because you sound a little extreme. Or maybe you're, like, a steady, and you're like, I have no idea what she's talking about right now. But anyway, this is so, I mean, in the original Bible language, there was no punctuation. But I can't help it he loves us so much it's two exclamation point moment it's a two exclamation point moment he doesn't hold back he doesn't edit it it is lavish it is lavish for you and it is lavish for me and what I love about this text is it's not you or me language it's we it's us our identity this fall is the reality that we're children of God We get to ride bikes, we get to play hide-and-seek, we get to live life together like a child. Stand up, and I would love, or please stand up, and I would, um, stand up, children! No, it's good. Y'all stand up, and I would love to um, pray for us as we move into this transition of ministry time. But I feel like I want to be here with you because we're at this wee moment. But Antley's going to stand on the stage. But... (laughs) Father God, I thank you that you call to us and say to us, where are you? That you desire us for to live lives of freedom and not in hiding. And Father, I thank you that when you pull us out of hiding, that when you break those chains, that your love for us is lavish. It's lavish. And God, I thank you so much that we are called children of God that we don't walk this life or live this life for you and with you on our own, that we get to do it together. And what a privilege that is to walk with you and to do it together. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. Amen.